welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick-Smith, and in over a decade, I have helped to improve mental well-being of hundreds of older Australians. This podcast offers an authentic insight into well-being in late life, practical tips for those who support our elders, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person has a number of strengths that can be uncovered and promoted to help the older person achieve better mental well-being despite the changes in their health status. friends. So for today's episode, I wanted to go back, back, back to the beginning and to look at how do we go about organizing support for, for all the people who might have emotional changes? And, you know, what, what are the steps and signs that we look for to support someone in their late life? I get emails quite often saying, help can you you know can you suggest what do we do now um we recognize someone needs help but what do we do how do we organize this support for them so i wanted to go back to the basics in this episode um and i hope it's going to be a resource for you when you think oh we need some help for our client mom dad uncle aunt and and how do we get started what are the steps to do that so we'll we'll go through a bit of a process today in terms of you know, the signs that we look for in the older person and then how do we go and, and get that support for them. I've been out of out of practice for a while now doing home visits. When I initially started working in HK, I would get in my car in the morning and travel all over Sydney and see people in, in residential care and in their own homes and retirement villages. And I had set days when I was like in one part of town, then other part of town. And um, it kept me busy and my, my car became my office for a long, long time. And then I had a couple of setbacks and, you know, changes in direction and went back to uni and um, did my PhD. And when I finished that, I just, yeah, I thought I wanted to focus more on the workforce and and training, which is what I love and do now, um, you know, every day. And so the first steps in terms of organizing support, um, there's still that gap, people not knowing what to do and what, how do they go about organizing support? And you know, many times, I'm not going to say 90% of time, but at least 50% of time, when you suggest to the older person, oh, you might need to speak to someone, you might need to get help, they're going to say no, they're going to say there's nothing wrong with me. And there's a lot of that um, misconception about what what support might look like, what talking to someone might look like. And older people are the least likely age group to engage in psychological services and support. So it doesn't mean that they don't need the help and support. It's just that they don't really um, know the benefits of it and how it can help them. They might think that, you know, talk therapy is not not for them. It it is not for everyone. Um, And my role certainly is not to um, just focus on on that aspect of um, treatment to improve mental well-being in late life. So first of all, um, let's take a step back um, and go, okay, so signs. What are the signs that someone might need extra help and support? So it could be that they're having difficulty adjusting to their environment Or it could be that they are perhaps unable to process, you know, death of a loved one for 
a set period of time. Maybe their spouse has passed away more than two years ago and every time you mention their name they they tear up and they you know can't leave the home and they can't engage in activities and they might really be struggling with that grief so those are the kind of symptoms and signs that we might look at you know changes changes in life changes um in support network changes in the environment changes in the roles that's a huge one for a person you know who might have gone from you know living an independent life and then suddenly they might you know, need care and support and how difficult it might be for them to accept that. You know, it's, it is it, it is one thing to say, yes, I, I realise I can't do things for myself anymore, but accepting that help and support could be a huge step for people. And the, the, the changes in their identity in terms of what they do in their day-to-day lives and in terms of the the activities that they're involved in. So it might be, you know, from... A, partners who you know one might get diagnosis of dementia parkinson's disease or they might have um have had a stroke and then suddenly they go from being husband and wife to a caregiver and a carer so all these changes in in day-to-day lives can in fact impact someone and how they cope and so the signs that we look for is that person's ability to adapt to whatever external or internal change that they're going through. So it might be, you know, they they might be having a range of emotions, they might be feeling anxious, they might be feeling sad, they might be feeling guilty, they might have anger, they might have a a range of emotions that are coming as a result of that change. And perhaps they might have some thoughts that, you know, that they are very hard on on themselves or they might actually have some thoughts that life is overwhelming, that they can't do it. Um, you know, I spoke with someone recently who's got Parkinson's disease and she said, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do Parkinson's disease. And, you know, sadly, we can't just say that. We can't say we can't do this or don't want to do this. The reality is, is that every day, every morning when she wakes up, she has Parkinson's disease and there's not nothing that we can do about that diagnosis. We can't um, wipe it away. And it, it's a sad um, degenerative um, progression that no matter what she does, that, you know, perhaps it can slow down the more exercises um, and activities that she does, but ultimately um, her quality of life is impacted and will continue to be um, as a result of her diagnosis. So the signs we look at, we look at the the emotions, we look at the thoughts, we look at behaviours that the person might have. Perhaps if they have anxiety, they are avoiding things. So if they are afraid of um, Having falls, they might be less inclined to be moving about. They might be less inclined to be uh, leaving their homes. They might be less inclined to engage in activities that are anxiety-provoking for them. So it could be a whole range of things that cause anxiety. One of the common ones in older people is the fear of not having control of their bladder. And so they might be avoiding bus outings or outings in general because they don't know where the bathroom is. And so they would rather stay home and miss out on going on a sightseeing or lunch out or um, social engagement because they're afraid of, um, of their mobility. What if I have a fall? What if I can't find a bathroom? What if I get lost? And so those are the sort of signs where we look at um, in terms of the older person's day-to-day activities and the engagement is... You know, how much are those emotions that they are feeling, those thoughts that they're experiencing, those behaviours that they're engaging in, 
impacting on their quality of life. Are those thoughts, emotions and behaviours impacting their um, engagement and leading to loneliness whereby they might feel socially and emotionally disengaged and disconnected from their friends and the wider community? And is there a way that we can actually look at and you know, especially if you haven't seen someone for a while and you see them and suddenly, oh, no, they don't want to leave the home. Oh, no, they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. Where, where's that line that you draw and you go, well, actually, we need to do something about this. I think that, you know, we need to speak to someone else about that. We need to speak to your GP about it. We need to speak to, you know, we need to call, make, make a call, call this number. We need to do something about it. Where is that line that we draw in terms of going, this is not okay, This is not okay. And how do we promote that independence for the older person and for their well-being without, you know, jumping to conclusions and jumping saying, oh, you know, we need to do something about it straight away. You know, usually the rule of thumb is, you know, if you notice that this has been going on for a couple of weeks or more, that something needs to be done about it as opposed to just leaving it as is um, and, and, and thinking about how to get those supports. So the signs that we spoke about is obviously, you know, not just the emotion the person might have, but also, you know, their thoughts, their behavior, their physical changes. Perhaps they've got um, loss of motivation. They might be losing weight, gaining weight, sleeping. Changes in sleeping is a big thing. I know that as we get older, we we have less need for sleep. Older people do not sleep as much as younger counterparts. But then again, with some medications, I know that it can affect the older person and their well-being. And so they might be um, sleeping too late or too much, especially if some of them are taking um, painkillers as well. So there's all these things that we need to consider. And the side effects of medication can certainly impact um, an older person and their well-being. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Beyond Reluctant Move book, Practical Approach to Wellbeing in Residential Aged Care Facilities. Let's together beat the myth that depression and dementia are a normal part of aging. Grab a copy today from wisecare.com.au. So, yep, you've picked up the signs are there. You know what the signs are. So let's talk about what steps we're going to take to get the support for the older person. So generally, the, the first rule of thumb is to, to speak to the GP. Sometimes speaking to the GP can result in just that knowledge that there's someone else involved and keeping an eye on the older person and their well-being. But also the GP has the ability to escalate those concerns. So I always try and encourage those conversations to happen sooner rather than later because we don't want to get to a stage where oh we need to organize a psychiatric review psychogeriatrician um and you know the wait list there can we actually start a little bit sooner and with earlier signs and changes and see if the other person can perhaps uh, see a mental health professional and have a chat with them and see where that would lead to now there aren't many psychologists who work with this population, and I really realise that. Um, I know when I started, I was one of few um, who started working in this area, but things have certainly changed a lot now. So there's access to to mental health support through better access to mental health care plans for older people, um, and that 
you know, talking to a GP, GP can prepare, prepare that referral, um, which allows treatment. And I know every year it, there's been changes as to how many sessions the older person can get, but the general rule is they would have six sessions and then they would get reviewed and then they can have further four or six it really depends um this podcast is this episode of the podcast is not about the logistics of better access to mental health care plans it is just about the options that are available there so there's a lot of non-gp based services that the older person can access without having a gp referral i always think collaboratively it's helpful if the GP knows what's going on for the older person because perhaps they're reviewing their medication they, they, they can see the whole picture but the older person can be connected to other supports and services that do not require a GP referral so obviously if there is that imminent risk of harm that you're worried about a person or if they've expressed you know suicidality or that they want to die um, and I guess you know, I mean, this is a totally different topic in itself in terms of suicidality. Is the person suicidal or do they just want to die and they feel like they've lived long enough and they don't want um, to live anymore? So in terms of having a plan and having those active thoughts about wanting to end their lives um, as opposed to saying, you know, I've, I've had enough. So this is a very important and a big topic, but we're not going to be discussing that in great detail today. But if you do have those concerns that the client is perhaps suicidal, or that they may be at risk of harm to themselves, it is really important to escalate those concerns as soon as possible because suicide is a risk factor across the lifespan and in older people as well. So providers such as Lifeline may be helpful in those instances um, if the older person needs to speak to someone immediately. So encourage them you know, to call 13, 11, 14. And you may know that you know every 30 seconds, a, th- a person in Australia reaches out to Lifeline for help. So Lifeline is number one if you feel that someone is in immediate risk and they need to speak to someone. Other services include Swinburne University, Wellbeing Clinic for Older Adults. I interviewed Professor Sunil Barr um, in one of my early episodes. Um, and you might want to listen to that and, and see about how that clinic operates because there's no need for GP referral to access counselling support. Um, for residential aged care community. So that includes aged care staff, aged care um, family members, and older people can access that counselling um, through phone or video calls. And then we also have the Australian Centre for Grief and Bereavement. They also offer a range of supports for aged care residents, home care recipients, families, friends, um, and residential aged care staff and external organisations associated with aged care. So those referrals can happen without the need for a GP referral. But if you do know that there is um, a psychologist or mental health professional who works in the local area, usually the first step would be to see the GP and get that GP referral um, to see them. So I know that now um, things are quite different to where they were um, 10 or so years ago where a lot of mental health professionals would see older people but just in their own rooms. They wouldn't be on the road. They wouldn't be willing to um, meet the older person in their environment. So things have changed now. A lot of more... Uh, Mental health professionals realise that for older person, it is important to make service accessible, easy and affordable. So a lot more professionals now travel and will go and see the older person in their own environment. 
And so that person, that health professional would need to have a, a valid referral from the GP so that they can charge Medicare or Department of Veterans Affairs um, for a rebate for the consultation. Or even, you know, if they if the person is going to claim uh, through their private health fund, um, having a source of referral can, can, can help in terms of getting that Medicare or the rebate that is associated with that. So once the person starts receiving help and support, regardless if it is from Lifeline, from, you know, any of the other providers, once they start getting into conversations with mental health professionals, um, the process is there and they will be quite easily explained. Uh, if they see a psychologist and if the psychologist is quite concerned about the person, they, they can escalate those concerns to, you know, the GP or make recommendations for psychiatric review. So it, the first step is actually getting to, to review the person and see where they're at. And in my experience, it has always been easier to help the older person sooner rather than later. So in my workshops, such as, you know, grief and loss in late life, we will look at things and we will look at the symptoms of what, you know, what is typically happening for an older person if they are going through changes such as grief and adjustment difficulties. And then what are the warning signs that they might be experiencing more complicated grief that might need additional helps and supports that it's not going to go away on their own? I know that culturally there are a lot of differences in terms of how people perceive changes, how they deal with grief and loss with with you know loss of a loved one um and, and and so it is about helping the person through their identity and through their way of um challenging the negative thoughts they might have the the patterns of behavior that can help to improve the quality of their lives but we need to take those first steps and we need to look at what are the first steps and signs that the person might need support and how do we encourage them to access it before they might feel, oh, you know, no, I don't want to, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay, that there's no harm actually. It's, it's normal to, um, to, to say I need help and I need support um, and, and finding those ways to get them the right help and support that they may need regardless if they are living on their own, living in supported accommodation or living with family. Support is there and it's available and sometimes it might be just a phone call away. So I'm pl- so pleased to see that things have changed so much in the last decade. You know, one of the good things that's come out of COVID is that telehealth is now uh, accepted as a normal way of uh, delivering services and support, and and that includes for older people as well. So you know, if they if they have concerns about um, leaving their homes um, and 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 accessing public transport and finding their way around, you know. It, it is still possible for someone to dial in and call them in their own home and, and have a chat with them. And that it's it's okay to get help and support if you're not feeling 100%. That it doesn't mean um, that, you you know, there's something severely wrong with you, that there are ways to go forward and that help and support is um, available to improve their day-to-day lives and their functioning. So that is it for today and for this episode in terms of looking at signs and steps to, psych- to seeking psychological support for people in, in their late life. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release the next episode by becoming a subscriber on over on your podcast app of choice. And 
if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is head straight to wisecare.com.au and check out my top downloaded resource, Five Facts About Me, which can drive better engagement with the elderly client regardless of your role in their lives. I'll see you at the next episode.